The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning's scripture text is from Colossians 2, verses 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We live in the Middle East and it's different there. Of course, the climate's much different. Uh, It's very brown. It's a desert. While Minnesota is green and lush. Of course, you also have white and freezing for far too long winters. Our city is much more densely populated. It's about a tenth of the size of the Twin Cities metro with about a million more people. Unemployment in Minnesota is about 3%, according to Wikipedia or wherever it was. And in our country, it's nearly 23%. The majority of those around us, 97% are Muslim, And so we hear the call to prayer five times a day. Most people fast the Islamic month of Ramadan. In fact, it is illegal to eat or drink in public. So it's very different there. But it's also really the same in so many ways. We have kind neighbors and grumpy neighbors. The guy behind our house, he complains when our kids are too loud. We have high-speed internet, so we can just as easily seek to drown out our lives and the outside world by binging shows and films on streaming services. It takes a little more work, uh, but it is just as possible to ignore the poor. Families are families everywhere, and therefore there's plenty of marital strife and difficulties in, in raising children. People are seeking to work day in and day out to provide for their needs and give their kids a a better life, a better future. So it's different and in many ways the same. And today we're going to look at Colossians 2, 8 to 15. And I find it to be incredibly relevant for Arabs in the Middle East and at the same time incredibly relevant for Americans in the Midwest. It speaks to the polarized secular culture here in America just as much as it speaks to the Islamicized religious culture 
in the Middle East. And I find that whether I'm in the Middle East or if I'm here in America, I see people who are enslaved by the societal tides around them. We are people who are easily taken captive by the prevailing philosophies of our tribes. Colossians announces freedom to Christ's church wherever that church might be because it focuses on ultimate reality, namely Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you'd like a a one-sentence sermon, here it is. This is the sermon in one sentence. Knowing Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, makes us free. Or for those who don't believe or don't know Christ yet, you could say knowing Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you, sets you free. So let's pray and and ask for God's help. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the freedom that you give us in Jesus Christ. I pray now that you would come by your spirit and open our eyes that we would see. Give us minds to understand and a heart that responds in love to you so that Jesus Christ is lifted high so that we love you better with all that we are, and so that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So there were in the city of Colossae at the time Paul wrote this letter, people who wanted to take the Colossians captive by philosophy and empty deceit, as he says in verse 8. Now notice that the philosophy, he never says it is devoid of Christ. He says that it is according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He does not say it was not about Christ. I very much think it was about Jesus, that Jesus was an important part of this philosophy by which they sought to take people captive. But it was not according to Christ. A few verses earlier in verse 4, Paul urged them to not let someone delude them with plausible arguments. So this was a philosophy of life that was compelling. People would hear it and be attracted to it. Yes, this makes sense. This feels good. I like how this orders my life or makes sense of the world in which I live. It was attractive. We get a taste of the philosophy at the end of chapter 2 when Paul writes in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Skipping ahead to verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So the philosophy that could take them captive was a philosophy of how to live rightly in the world. It focused on all the important details of everyday life, what we eat, what we drink, the holidays we celebrate, the things we ought to do, the things we must not do. It laid out a plan for how someone could live in order to be accepted by God and accepted by their community. It also helpfully separated people from others who failed to live in this way. And so it helped people know 
how to be good people doing good things and recognize how to see the bad people who are doing bad things. And therefore, it was certainly a philosophy that would breed judgment. Now, one of the really attractive things about Islam is that it is so comprehensive. It really fills out the whole of life and helps you know what to do. It'll give you guidance in just about every area. Now, we want God to clearly say to us, do this, that, and the other thing, and I will love you and help you and cause your life to succeed. We, we want that. And Islam does this, at least claims to do this. In order to please God and receive his mercy, you need to confess that there's no God but God and Muhammad is his messenger. You need to pray five times a day and fast the month of Ramadan, give alms, and take a pilgrimage to Mecca. It tells you exactly how you ought to pray, how you need to wash before you pray, the words that you need to say in your prayers, and the language with which you should say them, which is Arabic. It dictates what you wear and what you should not wear. It tells you who you can and cannot marry. It governs the way you treat your parents, your spouse, your children. It's helpfully comprehensive. Answers a lot of questions. Now, our religious culture actually is quite similar. In order to please God and receive mercy, one must go to church, attend small group, read the Bible, pray, share the gospel with others, not partner with those who have bad theology, reject false doctrine, and for some even tells you who to marry and who not to marry, how to educate your kids or how not to. There's very much that kind of philosophy here even in nominal Christianity. Now others, they like to be freed from the constraints of religion. And so they think they're freeing themselves without realizing that they also have a philosophy that seeks to take captive. Our secularized culture would tell us how to be a good person and acceptable to our society. One must celebrate any and all expressions of one's sexuality. One must vote for this person and not that. One must support this cause and reject that attitude. One must hate this person and listen to this news channel and reject this and cancel others who think differently. In all of this, whether we're Christian or Muslim, secular or religious, liberal or conservative, in all of it, there is a philosophy that seeks to tell us how to live how to rightly order our lives so that we are acceptable to ourselves, acceptable to our society, and acceptable to God if we believe in Him. They tells us how to be good people who do good things so that we're not like those bad people who do bad things. Now, how do these philosophies take us captive? Remember, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. They take us captive by lying and blinding us to reality. The first lie is that I'm the center of the universe. When I focus on all the things that I need to do in order to be right, I inevitably become the most important person in my life. I become the center. And I expect you also to put me at the center. And so how I treat you will depend on how you treat me. Are you living well in my 
little kingdom doing the things I want you to do or not. It's going to dictate how I interact with you. And then I become enslaved by anxiety because I'm attempting to control all the things in my life and I find that I'm unable. And oddly enough, not only do I become the center of my life, I also place you all at the center of my life because what you think of me becomes so central to who I am as a person. I really care about whether or not you like me and whether you accept me and whether I'm part of you. And so I become enslaved by other people's views of me. My self-worth becomes dependent on what you think of me. And therefore my life, it becomes a performance. I must perform well so that I'm well-liked and that I'm accepted. I want others, I want you all to think I'm a good person doing the good things. I'm not among those bad people doing the bad things. And so I become enslaved to what others think. I want to make sure that I'm watching the right shows, supporting the right causes, writing the right things on my social media so that I get all the likes. Paul writes in Colossians 2, 21, he says, my community, it's, it's like my community saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And in response, I say, yes, okay, certainly. I am the center of my life and at the very same time I'm placing you all at the center of my life and I become enslaved to, to trying to live this out. To control my life, to control the way you perceive me. Islam does this. Traditional Christianity does this. Secularism does this. This philosophy that accords with human tradition and accords with the elemental spirits of the world, it takes me captive to fear and to shame and to guilt. Have I done enough? Am I enough? What more do I need to do to be accepted by you? What more do I need to do to be accepted by God? Because now I've actually got to do this. I have to eat certain things and act certain ways and pray certain things in order for God to love me. And I've become captive, enslaved. I'm fearful. God might reject me because I've not done enough. And so I work with all my might trying to please him. I feel shame and rejected when I fail because it cuts at the core of who I am. My inability to always live as I'm told or as I believe I ought to makes me feel condemned. And my faults then threaten my very identity. And because this philosophy takes us captive, it, it takes us captive to a particular tribal identity, whatever that might be, it also enslaves me in another way because it keeps me from being free to love others who aren't like me. Those who are outside of my tribe. We, we set these boundaries so we know the good people doing good things and know the bad people doing bad things. And then we have an attitude of, of opposition. That's what I'm against. I'm not one of those people. And that necessarily creates a barrier between me and them. And so I'm not free to love as I ought to. 
Remember, I say again, Paul never said that this philosophy is Christless. Indeed, it may very much be about Jesus. And that's why this warning to not be taken captive is so important and necessary even for the church because we too can be taken captive to a philosophy not according to Christ. So what is the answer? And what follows in this text is Paul's answer to how to not be taken captive. He gives us three truths that can keep us free. The three truths are these. One, the person of Jesus. Two, the presence of Jesus in us. And three, the power of God through Jesus for us. So we see this first truth, the person of Jesus in verse 9. But let's go back to verse 8 and read it again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So that word for is so important. It's crucial in verse 9. Don't let others take you captive because in Jesus dwells the whole fullness of deity. Because Jesus is God incarnate. Don't be taken captive because of who Jesus is. Knowing him in his deity will help you become free. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. We cannot see him. Jesus, he was flesh and blood. People could see him, they could touch him. And by seeing Jesus, they could know exactly who God is. Now this language about the image of God, of course, we recognize it. We know that we ourselves were created in the image of God, right? But note the difference. We are created in God's image. Jesus is God's image. There is a difference between us. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God, fully divine, dwells bodily, fully human. This is the mystery of mysteries. God, the infinite God, has come to us in a finite body. Jesus Christ, born of women. He is human like us in every respect, yet without sin. And he is the image of God. So the first truth is the person of Jesus, namely God in the flesh, God incarnate. Now in just a bit, we'll think more about how that keeps us free. But first, let's better understand the other two truths. The second truth, the presence of Jesus in us. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So when we read that verse, that word and in verse 10, we need to make sure we're connecting it to what comes before, which is verse 9. And what's the crucial word there? For. So don't be taken captive because of who Jesus is, the one in whom dwells the fullness of deity, 
And don't be taken captive because you have been filled in him. Another reason to not be taken captive. The head of all rule and authority dwells in you. You have been filled. You have been completed in Christ. When we believed in Jesus, he took up residence in us. He made his home in us. He wants to be with us always. John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God the Father, God the Son, by the Spirit of God, come and they dwell in us. They are in us. Jesus is always with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He, had, he has chosen to dwell with us. And so the one in whom dwells the fullness of deity, he is the one who is in us and we in him. The first truth, the person of Jesus. The second truth, the presence of Jesus in us. And then the third truth that guards us is the power of God through Jesus for us. Paul says in verse 11, in him also, also. So now this is connecting us back to what was just said. For in him and you have been filled in him also. Another reason don't be taken captive is because in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Another reason because you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now clearly this is not the circumcision that we often think of done for baby boys. This is a wholly different kind of circumcision because it's not done with hands. God is the one who has to do this circumcision. In fact, this circumcision is a kind of death because he says it is by putting off the body of the flesh. It is a circumcision not just for males. It is a circumcision for every boy and girl, man and woman. It is the circumcision of the heart. And Moses speaks of in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moses writes, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And we know that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can't do it unless God circumcises our hearts. And that is a death because if we were to cut open our chests and cut off part of our hearts, we would die. There is a death that happens here. And it's connected to baptism in which death is visibly symbolized. It is by baptism that this circumcision is happening, by the circumcision of Christ through baptism. So that when we go down into the water, we are buried with Christ. And as we are raised up out of the water, we are raised with Christ to new life. So baptism, it unites us to the death of Jesus. It unites us to the resurrection of Jesus. We have become one with him. And this baptism is done in faith. Look again at verse 12. It says, through faith you've been buried with him 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. By being united by faith to Christ's death and resurrection, we are made alive. We are forgiven of our sins. And we are forgiven, Paul says, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Verse 14. Forgiven all all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he, God, set aside nailing it to the cross. Now you have a record of debt. It is a record of every moment in every way with word and thought and deed that you have disobeyed God, that you have dishonored God. It's a long record. And it's a shameful record. I guarantee there is not one person in this room who would ever want anyone else to see this record. Now picture this. The soldiers are nailing Jesus to the cross. And as they're nailing the hands and feet of Jesus, God himself at the very same time he is nailing He's nailing this long, shameful record of debt that stands against you. He's nailing it to the cross for every single person who comes to him by faith. He's nailing that record so that as Jesus Christ himself died, your record of debt died. Now, if this record of debt with its legal demands that's held up against us is dead, is gone, is canceled, there is nothing that can then separate you from God. And so there's free access now because of Jesus' death. And remember, this happens at the cross because of Jesus. This is not something we do. We don't get this this debt canceled by suddenly becoming good and doing good. By living according to this philosophy. You remember the thief on the cross? He's hanging there next to Jesus and he sees something in Jesus. And he recognizes this is the Messiah. Which is a remarkable thing to see because all Jews knew that the Messiah was supposed to be king. And this guy's dying. But he saw and he believed this is the Messiah. And do you remember what he said? He said, Jesus, remember me. He did not say, Jesus, I see that you are the Messiah. Will you please lower me from this cross because my life has been changed and I'm going to go out and live for you so I can become worthy of your kingdom. No, there's no hint of that. It's simply a plea for mercy. Jesus, remember me. And what did he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise And Jesus is inviting you today to simply call out, Jesus, remember me. He's not asking you to go fix your life, to do this and do that, or don't do this or don't do that so that you can become worthy. He's simply asking to invite him to remember you. Jesus, remember us. By faith, your record of debt is canceled. Even more, verse 15 says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, Jesus. So on the cross, 
God triumphs over the rulers and authorities who would seek to destroy you, he has defeated them. And therefore, in Christ's death, he has defeated all that we should fear. Through the cross, we experience God's power over shame because we are filled by him who is high and exalted above every rule and authority. We see God's power over death in the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection in Jesus. We see God's power over guilt in the forgiveness of our sin through the canceling of our debt. And we see God's power over rulers and authorities and therefore over our fear. For Jesus has put them to shame, not us. And so the power of God through Jesus for us is the third truth that keeps us free. Now, you remember that the philosophy that seeks to take us captive is a philosophy of how to live in order to be acceptable to God and be acceptable to others, our society, and even to be acceptable to ourselves. It is a way of life that tells us what is good and what is not. It gives us the tools to determine our own goodness, to self-justify, as well as to separate ourselves from the ones who are bad, the ones who don't think, act, speak, or look like us. And Paul's protection from this enslaving philosophy are these three truths. One, the person of Jesus. Two, the presence of Jesus in us. And three, the power of God through Jesus for us. But how does that work? How does that keep us free? Knowing who Jesus is sets us free and keeps us free from the lie that we are the center of the universe. He is the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells. He is the head, and therefore he is the center. He is the one who orders the universe. I don't have to. And so I'm set free. I'm not enslaved. He is the one who nourishes us and knits us together, growing with the growth that is from God. And we remember that we were created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. And so now we know what our purpose is and we know and can discover how to be truly satisfied by coming to Jesus. We find our joy and satisfaction in him because we were made for him. Knowing the presence of Jesus in us, that we are filled in him, it releases us and frees us from our need to prove ourselves to others. This incessant need to be enough, to be well-liked, to be affirmed, to be accepted. My worth is no longer defined by what I do because I've already been accepted by God the creator of all things. I've been accepted by the Holy One and therefore, whether or not others accept me is no longer my greatest need. That doesn't mean we go and make ourselves unlikable. But we don't need the acceptance of others any longer. I am accepted by Jesus. Knowing the power of God through Jesus for us 
what he has accomplished by Christ's death and resurrection, it frees us from having to be good enough. I no longer have to try to work my way to God and every day wonder if I've done enough. I don't have to live the life that says, I forgot my devotions or I didn't have time in God's word today and so he's not going to answer me when I pray. I better do better tomorrow. No, I'm freed from that because I've seen God's power through Jesus for me. My debt has been canceled. I have a circumcision made without hands. He has put off this body of flesh because through baptism by faith I have been united to Jesus' death and resurrection. And rather than relying on my own strengths, my own goodness, my own righteousness, I can rely on the work of another. And therefore I can be confident. I am accepted. I am loved. And so I'm set free from this philosophy that would seek to enslave me to my own works. Either that I hold up as my own expectations or that my community would place upon me. My debt has been canceled. God holds nothing against me because of Jesus. When, when we are taken captive, we rely on our own, ourselves and our strength and thus we become exhausted and anxious. But when we remember the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in us and the power of God through Jesus for us, we are set free and kept free because we can rest in Jesus and what he's done. We've been made alive. We've been forgiven. We have been made whole through the work of another being united with him in his death and resurrection. And so whether it is Islam, traditional Christianity, or liberal secularism, or any other philosophy that is according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, and not according to Christ, these truths set us free, and they keep us free, and we are not bound by anyone else, and therefore we are free not just to live our lives however we like, we're free to love and now we're free to even love the people outside our community. We're free to love others. We're free to love those who don't love us. God sets us free through Jesus and we are not bound by fear. We don't have to appease an angry God. We're not bound by shame. We don't have to fear being canceled or shunned by others. We're not bound by guilt. We can actually honestly face the record of debt that was against us because that record's been canceled. We don't have to minimize. We don't have to do whataboutism to others to make ourselves look good or make ourselves feel good. I can be very honest about this record of debt because it's gone. I am set free. And because we are freed by the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in us, the power of God through us, we are free whether we live in the Middle East or in the Midwest. We are free to hope, free to love, free to live with joy, free to serve even those who are part of another tribe.
Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for your mercy to us. Jesus, we praise you. You are the image of the invisible God, and we know that in you dwells the fullness of deity. And we praise you. We thank you that we are filled in you and filled by you. And we thank you, O God, for all that you have done through Jesus for us. God, would you grip us with these truths today in a fresh and new way? Set us free. Keep us free. Let us live in this freedom for the sake of your glory in loving others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.